Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Matthew 3 is our main text, and I want to dive in there again. I know you probably think I've exhausted this, but I promise you we've touched the edges. Matthew 3, verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare you the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, and his leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourself, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. I think we touched that pretty good last night. How I many know he was pointing up at a, 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 a pile of rocks that they had taken out of the Jordan River over 1,500 years earlier and said, uh, when you take these rocks out of the Jordan River, you're going to stack them up as a memorial because one day your children are going to ask you, what does this pile of rocks mean? And you're going to tell them when you see a priest carrying an ark in the middle of the River Jordan, you're going to know it's time to cross. Over. Now, how many know Jesus was that ark? John the Baptist was that priest, and it should have screamed to them, It's time to cross over. But this time they weren't crossing over a physical Jordan. They were crossing over out of a wilderness and out of a bondage and into a new covenant. How many are glad? I don't know if you've crossed over yet, but by the time this meeting's over, I hope in your mind you can cross over. Into Hallelujah. And he goes on to say, But this is the verse I want us to get. To, uh, if we could touch this one t- today. And now also, say this with me. The axe is laid laid. unto the root of the trees. trees. Touch your neighbor, say, remember that. (laughs) Because if he gets far enough, that'll be significant. (laughs) Now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water to repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes... I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the waters, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I will, in a little while, I think, go to Matthew chapter 11, and we will read it somewhat from the Message Bible here. But I want to just lay some groundwork a little bit and just review just a little bit. How many know John the Baptist is probably 
one of the most pivotal characters in human history. He's probably one of the most because he's the one chosen, if you will, to introduce the bride and the bridegroom together. He's the friend of the bridegroom. I know he was really an important prophet. And all the prophets spoke. Isaiah prophesied, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Malachi says, and and I'm probably going to touch this one more today than any of them. But Malachi says, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. But what I want you to see is that when John the Baptist is announcing, see, when we read this from the surface, and you hear somebody say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, our minds, because we think of of, of repentance as as getting saved, and, and that's part of it. But how many know that the Greek word for repentance literally means, is the Greek word metanoia, and it means to change the way you think. Do you know one of the greatest revelations of the Reformation, especially under Martin Luther, was when he discovered that one of the early translators had mistranslated the word in Romans that the Catholic Church had used for years to call, that that they translated the word repent to do penance, which means you had to earn this. He found out it was a mistranslation from the word metanoia, and he found out it's not about you doing penance, it's about you changing your mind about somebody that already paid for your sin. Come on. How many of that? That's a massive paradigm shift because yes, yes, yes. it just shifts from your doing, come on, yes. to what's already been done. It, sh- it, sh- it shifts from do, hallelujah, to done. Hallelujah. And so what happens is you begin to shift the way you think and and you begin to, uh, uh, and so what John is announcing is not only a repentance that, and and I'm not taking anything away from coming forward in an altar, receiving the grace of God, receiving the forgiveness of sin. I believe in all of that. But how many know that there's really a whole lot of stuff? Matter of fact, one of the other books we've always sold out of uh, on the revelation of Jesus Christ, he wrote to seven churches that were really in Asia. Let me just say this. When we read the book of Revelation, we need to understand the audience relevance he's talking to. So if he's writing to seven churches that were really in Asia, and a lot of stuff has been, you know, added to that. But we got to remember, there really was a church in Asia at Ephesus and Smyrna and Philadelphia. So we, we, we need to realize that that book, at least, at very least, had to have some relevance to a first century church. And he's writing to this first century church. And he's saying to them, there's some stuff you need to repent about. He's not talking to sinners here. He's talking to the church. He's saying to the church, there's some stuff you need to change your mind about. How many know that's still an ongoing process? I don't know about you, but I'm still changing my mind about a whole lot of stuff. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, Acts says that, that repentance produces times of refreshing. And sometimes I heard the Lord say to me when I wrote this book, he said, it's not just what you turn from. That's part of it. Because, see, the main thrust of what I'm going to teach this morning is they were turning from law. They were turning from legalism. They were turning from condemnation. But, see, I've been preaching the message of grace a long time before it got popular. As a matter of fact, before it got popular, people wouldn't walk across the road to spit on you. (laughs) Now they want to get their picture taken with you. It's kind of a little bit of a a shift to be able to be celebrated instead of (laughs) hating so bad. But it was a shift, man. But when we first begin to preach, in most cases, even with the grace message, and the reason a lot of pastors get concerned is because when people turn from law, it, it, they emphasize everything they're free from. 
See, you're getting quiet on me now. So we've turned from law, but see, repentance is not just what you turn from. It's what you turn toward. And so what he's talking about in this scripture is you are turning from law. You are turning from legalism. And it was for freedom that Christ set you free. And see, I'm, I'm not a preacher who's willing to take freedom from people just because a few people abuse freedom. I'm not going to take freedom from everybody. How many know that's what our, well, I, I don't want to get political here this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. How many know that's the problem is we want to legislate everything, but you can't legislate righteousness. Right. See, even some guys who preach the kingdom think, here's the deal. We're going to take over the government, pass the laws, and we're going to get people to behave like we want to. Listen, if passing laws could do it, the law of Moses would have done it. Yeah. So it's not about a government that, that, that forces laws on you. It's about an inward change in repentance. Come on, somebody. It's about a shift in the change of government. So they were turning from law. They were turning from the government of rules on rock, but they were turning towards the kingdom that would replace the law and the government of the kingdom would not function from rules. It would function out of a relationship and it would not come from a government that was forced on you by threat, but it would come from the government of Corinthians says the government of living spirit. So the Holy Spirit himself would come in you and the Holy Spirit will bring the kingdom because the kingdom's not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost comes on, come on somebody, he moves inside of you. That one was an external code, but in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit moves in, takes up residence. Touch your neighbor, say, you're the governor's mansion this morning, man. (laughs) So the government of living spirit, we covered this. I'm, I'm trying to not be too long in review here this morning, but Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3 in the Message Bible says, for if the government of condemnation was glorious. How about this government of affirmation? Yes. Amen. And one was a government of rules written on stone that did not stop sin. As a matter of fact, it gave sin strength. For the strength of sin is the law, but it's what we preach over American pulpits and we wonder why we got a sin program. Problem. So then we create sin management programs. Can I tell you the answer is still the Holy Ghost? Well, yes. I feel the presence of the Lord in here this morning. I trust the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on, how did, I believe the Holy Ghost. See, the reason I believe preachers will not preach this is because they don't believe the Holy Ghost can do what the Holy Ghost said he can do. They don't believe he'll really lead you and guide you in truth. And see, the truth he does. Boy, there's too much here to preach again this morning. I was sharing with them just somewhere where we're in our conversation. We've been talking the whole weekend. So, but I was talking about Matt, or John chapter 14. The, the, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. And then he says, I will send you another comforter. The word comfortless and the word comforter are two different Greek words. The word comfortless is the Greek word orphanos. So he first of all says, I will not leave you orphans. I'm going to come to you. You're going to be sons and daughters. Under the old covenant, you were servants and slaves. In the new covenant, you're sons. But the second word that he says when the comforter comes is the Greek word paraclete. And it's a term for an advocate or or defense counsel or an attorney that's in your corner. Jesus said, I'm going to send you another. I'm going to send you a paraclete. And when he comes, he's going to testify of me. And so the only thing he can testify about is what's true. Come on, hallelujah. Yes. And so somebody gets up and says, you are a dirty, rotten scoundrel. And your paraclete says, that's not true. I can't come in agreement with that. 
Come on, your body says, I'm sick, I've got some things, but your paraclete says Jesus was wounded for your transgressions. I can't come into agreement. Come on, all he can do is testify the truth. Come on, somebody. I said, all he can do is whisper in your ear, so that ain't true about you. Don't you believe that lie? Hallelujah, because see, that's what repentance is about, is a shifting and coming into agreement. As a matter of fact, hallelujah, uh, some of the words, uh, you know, when he says, if you will confess... Uh, I think is the word that, that's root. I, I stand corrected on this, but the word, if you will confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. I don't believe we need to confess our sins over and over and over again to get forgiven, but I believe the word confess there is a, is a Greek word that means to say the same thing about it that he says. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. And what he says is my sin is forgiven. So I'm just, and all the paraclete can say is, come on, somebody, you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. Hallelujah. What I'm saying is the Holy Spirit comes to begin to bring you. And see, to me, that's more life changing than just putting me back in like I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel and I'll never amount to nothing because it begins to encourage me and build me up into who I am in the new creation. Hallelujah. Until, listen, listen, I, this, I, I did, I used this stuff. Teaching, raising my kids. My oldest son's now, he'll be, believe it or not, will be 41 years old in March. And uh, that's my oldest son. Hallelujah. I, I know I look way too young. <laughs> I'm flattering myself, right? But I, when I was raising him, instead of saying, you little brat, you'll never amount to nothing, I'd say, you're too good of a child to act like that. Oh. That's, right. <laughs> that's not who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? At first, when you start preaching like that, people look at you like, what rock did you crawl out from underneath of? But my youngest son said, man, I, and my, see, I had two sons, and one was real easy. I mean, we thought we were going to write a book on how to raise kids after we had the first one. <laughs> and he was the only one we had for five or six years. And this kid was well-behaved, responded well. I mean, he's always been the good one. <laughs> And so about the time we were ready to write a book, we have number two. <laughs> and he was my strong-willed child. And I would say to him this stuff, and he'd look at me. He said, I go up and look in the mirror and say, they don't evidently know what I'm doing. <laughs> he said, but one morning, he said, I got up and I looked in the mirror. And he was struggling at that time with some things in his life. And he said, I looked in the mirror and said, but what if what dad's telling me is true? What if the man in the mirror... Is the new man. That's right. I, I want to sidetrack and preach that, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Hallelujah. What if I look in the mirror and I start to see myself different? And he said, something started to shift wow. in my heart. And I'm convinced, see, it doesn't take faith to believe you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel. <laughs> it takes faith to believe you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Yes, yes. Good stuff. Not having trouble believing God for things. I'm having trouble believing God. Come on, hallelujah. You said that I am who I am. But see what happens is faith comes by hearing. So you speak it over them long enough and after a while they start to respond. Now I've got to move on here because the shift has to be the repentance is a change in our paradigm. It's a change of the way we think. And I think we are really, we are probably in the last 10 years been in one of the most massive reformations. I believe that church history, I believe that the reformation we're in with the gospel of grace being released on such a massive level is, is probably one of the biggest uh, shifts in human history. I believe it's as big as the Luther Reformation. Probably bigger because it takes us further. But with that, a lot of times again comes that people have turned from law and they've turned from legalism, but they've got way out there and turning from that they've have forgot to turn to. And that's one of the reasons I wrote this book is because we're not turning just from 
from uh, law and legalism, but where hearts are turning towards the Lord. And I know this is a little bit of a play on words, but if your heart don't turn toward the Lord, then you're an untoward generation. Because you got to be, come on, I know it's, I know that's a play on words, but how many know you got to be towards something? But when our hearts turn, Pastor Andre, toward the Lord, the veil is taken away. So I can see the end of what's abolished. And one of the things that was abolished was the law. Now, see, that's what's going on here in Matthew 3. John the Baptist is talking about such a massive shift because the kingdom of heaven was about to invade this planet. Heaven had sent its very best. God sent his son, not hallelujah, just to get you from here to there, but to get what was happening there to operate here. Hallelujah. And Jesus began to release in the earth the kingdom of heaven and heaven and earth. Heaven would begin to invade her and is still. How many of the kingdom of God is like leaven? Once you get it in, you can't get it out. <laughs> My mama used to make, you know, homemade bread. She there was seven kids. Was she'd take a 25-pound bag of Robin Hood flour twice a week, and she'd make a big pan of bread. Hallelujah. And I'm starting to think about going home now. Hallelujah. And, but she'd just put a little bit of leaven in that, and that stuff would begin to grow, and it would begin to increase. And then first thing you know, it's running over the side of the pan, and, you know. Uh, but see, that's the kingdom. You get the kingdom in. It may not look like it's much. That's what gives me such confidence about preaching the kingdom is it's, it's you, once you get it in, can't get it out. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit comes in your life and he's like leaven. He starts to, listen, he starts to expand in every area of your life and change you. Now, one of the things I want you to see is that what was being pictured here, so much stuff is being pictured here. Last night, particularly, we dealt with what was happening in the River Jordan, and I want to deal with that just a little bit more tonight. But John the Baptist steps down in the River Jordan. How many were there last night? Let me just see your hand. I think there's probably some, some audio of it, possibly. But it powerfully pictures to me, one of the things that we shared last night is that John the Baptist pictured to me what Joshua was talking about. He said, when you see a priest carry the ark in the middle of the Jordan River, you're going to know it's time to cross over. How many of you remember last night, John the Baptist was a priest. He was Zachariah's son. He was a Levitical priest. Jesus was the ark. And I showed you how that when they stepped down into the river Jordan, that that was, that was a priest and Jesus was an ark. And when Jesus comes up out of the river Jordan, John the Baptist looks up over the bank of the river and he sees that pile of rocks that we just read about. Hallelujah. And he said, God is able of these stones. And I believe he pointed to that pile that, and that said, of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. How I many know he was literally about to not only include Jews, but Jews and Gentiles were about to come into the family because he was about to show us that the seed of Abraham is not just by natural descent. It's by faith. That's awesome. yes. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. But what, and we showed you several pictures that were happening in the ark. Now, what I want to do the, today is I want to tell you that not only is this a picture of Joshua and, and, and them carrying the ark across the river, crossing over into the promised land. Before I say that, let me, there's so many pieces that I'm leaving. I hope I'm doing this justice. How many know in the New Testament, the promised land is more than a piece of real estate? Hebrews, the fourth chapter, tells us that the promised land is rest 
in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's still a lot of people wondering. Still a lot of people. Tell me it's time to come on, come into the rest. And it's out of rest that everything begins to flow. It's from the posture of rest that it, it hallelujah. Amen. Now, but what I want you to see is the promise that's born to piece of real estate. It's rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But what I want to pick up here is I want to pick up something a little bit more because he says to them uh, in another place, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And I'm going to show you how that this, this, this Jordan River crossing again there is so much going on in this river, it's impossible for me to exhaust wow. it in four services. Wow. Because everything about this crossing over is pictured in so many places. And I want to show you today that I think this is probably the same location that Elijah and Elisha crossed over the river as well. Now let's go back with that thought. So we're going to see this crossing again, not from the uh, Moses and Joshua transition or from the Joshua or from the, you know, from the crossing over to the promised land. But I want to show you this is probably the same picture used of Elijah and Elisha demonstrating the same thing. It's talking about law and grace. And I'll show you in just a moment, but let me just make some statements first. Elijah is a picture of old covenant. Elisha is a picture of the new covenant. Well, I'll show you why in just a moment. But let's go over here with that thought and, and, uh, in, in Matthew 11, I'm going to read to you from the Message Bible. Verse number 7 from Matthew 11 said, When John's disciples left to report, Jesus started talking to the crowd about John. What did you expect when you went out to see him in, in the wild? A, a weekend camper? Hardly. What then? A chic in silk pajamas? I, I like the Message Bible. <laughs> Not in the wilderness, not by a long shot. What then? A prophet? That's right, a prophet. Probably the best prophet you'll ever hear. He is the prophet that Malachi announced when he wrote, I'm sending a prophet ahead of you to make the road smooth for you. Let me tell you what's going on here. No one in history surpasses John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer. But in the kingdom he prepared for you for, the lowliest person is ahead of him. Let me just stop and capitalize on that a minute. Here is G Jesus giving you God's opinion about you. And he's saying nobody in human history was a greater prophet in the Old Testament than John the Baptist. Yeah, wow. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. I want you to touch your neighbor and say, you're greater than John the Baptist this morning. That ain't what God, that ain't, that, that, listen, that, that's not it. That's what God got to say about you. <laughs> in other words, listen, man, we got some stuff. I'm feeling that preacher sneak up on me this morning. Hallelujah. We got some stuff that's made us better in the kingdom because they didn't have the indwelling Holy Ghost like we got. So he that's least in the kingdom is greater than John the baptizer. He said the lowliest person's ahead of him. For a long time now, it said people have tried, watch this, have tried to force themselves into God's kingdom. But if you read the books of the prophets and God's law closely, you will see them culminate in John. 
Teaming up with him and preparing the way for the Messiah of the kingdom. Look at it this way. John is, look at this clearly. It says, for uh, teaming up with him in preparing the way for the Messiah of the kingdom. Look at it this way. John is the Elijah you've all been expecting to arrive and introduce the Messiah. Are you listening to me? Really listening to me. So he stops and says, they just asked him, what about the prophets say Elijah must first come? He said, listen, I don't know how much clearer to make this to you guys. John the Baptist is Elijah. Remember that because I'm going to put him in the river in just a moment. Hallelujah. John the Baptist is in the river because, see, if you see me when I'm taken, you get a double portion. Come on, somebody. In other words, if you can see an old covenant move, you can walk in a double portion. Now, let me say to you that the double portion is not a measure amount. It was the amount that was given to the firstborn son because the firstborn got a double portion because he's responsible to take care of the rest of the family. Jesus is the firstborn. Come on. And he got a double portion because he's, you all going to help me preach up. He's responsible to take care of the rest of the family. I wish you'd touch your neighbor and say, he got enough to take care of you today. Hey, I wish I could get some help to preach in here this morning. Hallelujah. I'm going to take that a little farther in just a little while, but let that settle in for a moment. If you see me when I'm taken, you get a double portion. That's why John said he must increase and I must decrease because I'm not the one. He's the one. I'm the one preparing the way. I'm the voice of one cry. I know my role. I know what I'm supposed to do. But here's one of the most powerful things that I begin to shift because I used to preach this. If you read this from the King James Bible, it's worded just a bit different. But it says, but in the King James, it said, for up until John, the kingdom of heaven suffered violent and the violent take it by force. And I remember we get in these fighting moods. <laughs> Come on, folks. I, we go storm the devil's camp. And I'm not telling you we're not to plunder the enemy's camp and something. But what he's saying here is up until John the Baptist, you had to take the kingdom by scratching and fighting and struggling. In other words, he's saying you're trying to access the kingdom through an old covenant performance righteousness based thing. And guess what? Nobody ever makes it because the end of the law is there's none righteous, not even one. So the kingdom, what he's saying is up until then, it was about you struggling. It was about you. Listen, man, this will help you. The next time some TV preacher come on, I'll probably be careful because I know they're filming me. People, there are a lot of famous guys. You'd be surprised at people who watch me. Hallelujah. But I'm going to expose some stuff here. Hallelujah. The next time they tell you, you're going to give this breakthrough offering. See, the trouble is they're trying to sell you a breakthrough for the problem they created. You'll give your Passover offering, God will bless you. Listen, I'm going to tell you, Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. And I appreciate what this man of God said this morning. It ain't about your sacrifice. It's about tapping into the one that's already come. Now, I'm not saying you ought not to give, but you ought not to give because you're trying to get something. You ought to give because you're full of the abundance of grace and you're blessed to be a blessing. In other words, this is not about a doing. Listen, it's about even Abraham when he gave, listen, he gave tithe to Melchizedek. He wasn't doing it to get the victory. He was on his way back from one. See, and I believe when people realize I'm not given to get the victory, there's already a victory been won in Jesus. I'm given because I'm on my way back from one. And I just had lunch with Melchizedek and he's serving bread and wine and bread and wine is the finished work. And you eat some bread and wine, it'll make you want to give. That's right. <laughs> 
That was his response to grace. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, listen, listen, what I'm saying is it's not about you doing to get. So he's saying, listen, you had to take this thing through, through scratching. He said, but listen, what you need to understand is that culminated with John. That's the last. You have to take the kingdom. Violent men seized and forced their way into the kingdom. But Jesus goes on to say, I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.